0: First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Today we're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. You've probably heard that phrase before and now you're probably going, oh no, what's he going to say? Because usually when people use that phrase, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting, they're talking something about laying down the law and telling things like it is and really giving it to the people because they've been out of line. Well, I I don't want to lay down the law today to you, but rather to preach the grace and the mercy and the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ, the hymn. The H-I-M hymn referred to in verse 4, which is where I want to really focus our attention, the beginning uh, of this passage 4, where it talks about Jesus Christ, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Verse 4 begins with, As you come to him... It's one word in the Greek, a, a verb, a, a participle actually, uh, coming to him or as you come to him. And then what follows that tells us the consequences of coming to him and the consequences for those who reject him. But first, we want to answer the question what does it mean to come to Jesus? And then, secondly, only two points today. What does it mean to reject Jesus? What is it? So coming to Jesus and rejecting Jesus. Well, verse 1 to 3 gives us a great summary of what it means to come to Jesus. It tells us there to, to put away all malice or all wickedness, which is generally... That, that covers b- about everything. All wickedness. And then, of course, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, slander... And long for the pure spiritual milk. In other words, God's Word. The milk of the Word, as the King James puts it. Uh, so you may grow up into salvation. And then verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We talked about this last week. And, and what I stress there is that the last part of verse 3 is, is of primary importance. It's all important, but of primary importance. The first thing that's most important to know is that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? And when we taste and see that the Lord is good, we seek to put away all wickedness. And the reason that's so is because Christ will not taste sweet until sin tastes bitter. It's a great little saying. Christ will not taste sweet until sin tastes bitter. And the reverse is true as well. When sin is sweet to us, Christ will be bitter to us. Christ and sin cannot both look beautiful to us. As the appeal of one rises, the other falls. When we are savoring Christ in the pure spiritual milk of his word, we lose our taste and our appetite for the passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls that Peter talks about a few verses later. So first of all, in order to come to Christ, a person must recognize their sin and misery. All have sinned. All of us are sinners. We don't like to hear it, but it's true that the Bible says that we are. And where do we turn for salvation? We're lost on our own. Where do we go? And as Peter told the crowd, gathered around him in Acts 4. Remember he uh, performed a miracle and people were up in arms Uh, about him and they're gathering to see this lame man walking he turns to the crowd that's gathered there and he says this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else or there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved this is not the first time the letter we're reading here It's not the first time that Peter used uh, that verse about Jesus being the cornerstone. He used it back at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 4. Well, in verse 4, the passage that we're looking at today, it calls Jesus a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He, Jesus, was chosen to be our Redeemer. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. He was chosen to be the Redeemer and the Savior of sinners, to come to earth, to take on human flesh, to live the perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to pay the penalty for our sins. And because He did so, because He fulfilled the Father's will, He is now precious in the sight of his heavenly father he's the the lamb that takes away the sin of the world and he's precious he's valuable he's to be honored and that's what Peter's driving at he is the the living stone rejected by men but chosen and precious to God is Jesus precious to you does he have value for you Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you experienced His forgiveness and grace and mercy? In other words, have you come to Him? That's what verse says, coming to Jesus. Have you ever come to Jesus? Have you accepted, received, and rested upon Christ alone for justification, which means being made right with God, for sanctification, growing in holiness, and then eternal life, all these things we find only in Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, by which we can have justification, sanctification, and eternal life. Do you know it? Have you ever come to him for that? And if you have come to him, what Peter is telling us here is to keep coming to him. Because verses 1 through 3 aren't necessarily about just conversion. It's not just about initially coming to him. He's talking to Christians who are existing Christians. And he's saying, as you come to him, you're growing into the spiritual house. Verses 1-4 through are talking about the ongoing Christian life, the life of continual faith and repentance. Christians are not perfect all of a sudden just because they've been forgiven by the Lord and adopted into his family. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on us. We're called to be holy, as it said in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. So we come to him repeatedly, putting away sin and and asking for his help, for his mercy, his grace, and his help to to overcome the sin. He's died to free us from sin. His death takes away the guilt of sin, and it breaks the power sin has over us, the dominion of sin over us. We're no longer slaves to sin But there's still some corruption that remains in us. And so there's a war going on between ourselves and the old sin nature. And sometimes the old sin nature seems to be winning in our lives. So we must keep coming to Him and coming to Him. Turning from our sin, turning to Him, sitting at His feet as His disciples, learning from Him. As you come to Him, verse 4. refers to a, a daily personal relationship with Christ as our rabbi, our teacher, our master, and our Lord. We're seeking to put away sin and yield obedience to His commands and we take serious His warnings and embrace the promises that He's given us, the promises for this life and for the life to come. We believe what He's saying to us. So have you come to him and are you continuing to come to him in prayer, in worship, in study, in a daily dependence upon him for help and strength? We can find it nowhere else. So what happens when we do come to Jesus? The passage tells us as we come to him, we are being built up. We grow uh, as you come to Jesus, verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone of this spiritual house he's talking about. Now living stone is kind of an odd metaphor. You know, Stones aren't alive. Uh, they they're, they're just stones. They don't breathe, they don't grow. But Peter saying Jesus is a living stone, he's pointing out the fact that the spiritual house that that Jesus is building is an an organism. It's organic, it's living, it's it's it can grow. If something is alive, it must grow. The life of this spiritual house comes from The living stone. He's the living stone because he rose from the dead. He's alive forever. And eternal life comes to us through him because he is the living stone. Those who unite to him also, like him, are living stones. It calls Christians living stones. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. But he alone is the cornerstone. So I looked up a cornerstone on Wikipedia Bastion of All Knowledge and and here's what it said. The cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Important since all other stones will be set in a reference to this stone thus determining the position of the entire structure. I love that. That, that. That really does fit well. Christ dictates... Everything. Everything is in reference to him in his house. He determines the position of the entire structure. He is the cornerstone. Everything in your life depends on you being united to the cornerstone, living in reference to him. And as we come to him, we will be built into the spiritual house of his making. That's a promise. That's a That's not a command, that's not something we do, that's something he said is happening to us as we come to him. He's doing something with our lives, he's changing us, he's building us together, the people of God, into a a house, a structure, his institution in the world. C.S. Lewis has this great quote, it's not a one-to-one correspondence, but it's a great encouragement to us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house From the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Coming to Jesus, not just having him in your life, but being united to him and being a part of what he's doing in the world. That's what Peter's talking about here. As you come to Jesus, there's something great happening. And he's going to go on in the next verse, what we'll talk about next week, uh, talking about all the the metaphors he gives for us. We're a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. What honorable titles did he give to us? Verse 7 states, The honor is for those who believe, who come to him in faith. Now, second of all, he talks about not only coming to Jesus, but what it means to reject Jesus. Verse 7, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. These are quotes from Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8. Uh, Psalm 118 is... Famously known as the song that was being sung as Jesus rode into Jerusalem to die, the triumphal entry. We we sing it on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. Hosanna is the Hebrew word. Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. Jesus came into Jerusalem not as a conquering king, but as a, a suffering servant to lay down his life for us. He is that stone that would be rejected by the builders, but rejected by the, the leadership, and put to death. And he goes on and he puts in Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In Isaiah 8, it says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So even here in Isaiah 8, as as Isaiah is prophesying before the fall of that kingdom, uh, he, he's he's saying, "Look, some people will find in the Lord a refuge, and some people will stumble over it." Jesus gives us even more insight about these two passages because he uses them in the parable of the wicked tenants. Jesus tells a little story about a man who uh, who has a, a vineyard. Uh, he Uh, He builds a wine press. He builds a tower. He he provides for it. And in my research, I found that it takes five five years to establish a vineyard. So this wonderful vineyard is established, uh, and he lets it out to some people. And he just wants some rent for it. And so he sends his servant, when the time has come, to gather up some rent. And, of course, they... They uh, abuse the, the servant and send him away without the rent and then he sends more servants and they physically beat up the servants and then finally he sends his son and they say, here's the heir, let's kill him and we'll have it all to ourselves. And they kill the son. And Jesus says, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he looked directly directly at them as he's told the story, and they know that he's talking about them. And he says, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So rejecting Jesus here. You see, in the story, these people wanted to live... Uh, autonomously, which has been the problem since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the original sin was trying to be God really uh, Eve and Adam were there uh, the Satan was Satan was telling uh, Eve and of course Adam's right there as well if you eat this fruit you'll be like God you'll know good and evil and of course they ate the forbidden fruit they wanted to to be like God and and the story here that Jesus tells, tells of people who owe something to God. They are under God. They should return to God what is owed to Him, but they don't want to do that. They want to keep it themselves. And then ultimately they're willing to, to kill God Himself in order to have it all, to, to be autonomous from the owner and isn't that what we want to do, what most people want to do? They don't want to come to Jesus because when you come to Jesus, you have to say, you know, I can't do it. I am broken. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And we don't like to do that. We want to be on our own. We want to think that we've got it all together. We want to, to be autonomous, to live like we want to live. We don't want to put ourselves under God's rule and submit to Him, and have to be holy in everything, and put away all wickedness. Yeah, there's some wickedness we don't mind putting away, but then there's the things that we like to do, that God doesn't want us to do, that we don't want to put away. And so we want to be autonomous. So these passages apply to that. Well, Paul also picks up this these uh, these quotes that Peter is talking about in Romans 9, in reference to his discussion of the, the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, the, the, the Gentiles who have accepted Christ, they've accepted the Messiah, and the Jews that have rejected him. And he explains it. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In this passage, Jesus is rejected because... People think, well, I don't need a Savior. I'm good enough. I can, I can keep l- the law. I can, I can uh, live my life in, in a moral way, and at the end of the day, my goods will outweigh my bads, and I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I'm good enough. And that's exactly what's being, being preached against here by Peter. Put away your sin. Come to Jesus. Don't think that you are good enough yourself. Don't think that you uh, can live independently of God. That's foolishness. You'll stumble over the stone. It's offensive to be told that you're a sinner and that you don't have it all together. We like to portray that we have it all together, that we're okay and we're not broken and that we don't struggle with sin. We don't put those sort of things on our Facebook page. At least you're not normal if you do. We don't put that out there that we're we're wrestling with things that we shouldn't be doing in the privacy of our own home. And when we look around us at the people we respect, because there are people out there we know don't have it together and we we look down our nose at those people. We're not like them. But when we look at our peers, our friends, we think, well they've got it all together and I, I don't have it all together and I don't want them to know I don't have it all together but I'm here to tell you that nobody's got it together. Everybody's thinking the same thing. Everybody's struggling with something. Everybody's wrestling with sin. We will be until the Lord returns until we are freed from even the presence of sin. We need one another. We need the Lord most of all but you don't have it all together. And when you think that, when you think you don't need God, it's going to be a disaster in the end. A rabbi from the 2nd century, 3rd century, he said this. I've probably shared this with you before. It's, it's kind of funny. but referring to these, these quotes we're talking about. He said, If the stone falls on the pot, woe to the pot, If the pot falls on the stone, woe to the pot. Either way, woe to the pot. Jesus is the cornerstone. If we stumble over him as our Savior and not connect to the cornerstone, we'll be broken in the end. If we think we don't need him, we'll be broken. And then judgment will come and we'll be crushed. We don't have it together. We need the Savior. And Jesus is standing here inviting us to come to Him. Come to Jesus. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Come as you are. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would receive us. We come to you. Lord, we come to you. We pray that in the quietness of this moment that we would surrender to you, that we would come to you with our sins, that we would come to you with our brokenness, our incompetence, our pride, our our failures. And Lord, we pray that we would discover you as our Savior over and over and over again. Lord, we love you, and we pray that we would love you more. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiving us, and thank you for uh, inviting us to be your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.